Greetings, everyone. <clears throat> the people still arriving. How lovely to look at everyone's face. Ah, let's begin by enjoying a few moments of silence and stillness in our sitting. Oh, I see Robin has made it to Albuquerque with Joel.
Let's recite the verse of the robe. A vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. The a theme that I, I thought to reflect on today, <clears throat> if, if you had to make it into a small statement, which will be the name that will go with the video, you know, on YouTube, you see the, the sort of names that are on each of the talks, will be um, <clears throat> I'm going to fix it. What's that? I'm going to fix it. That's what you want, right? Cooperating with the inevitable. Cooperating with the inevitable. And the inevitable uh, is that something goes wrong <laughs> that you want to fix. Uh, because the form in which I shaped what I wanted to offer to you today for your practice reflection and for our inquiry um, was a, a visual uh, teaching. I put together some things that, a, a storyline that I thought you'd want to follow that, that makes it very human, very poignant. And I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that it was, um, that it was beautiful and it worked well. And of course, it won't work on Zoom today for some reason. Uh, I can do a clumsy version of it, but it's not. And so we're gonna have to cooperate with the inevitable. And uh, you, you'll see, see how that goes. <clears throat> and as a way to, to sort of frame the, the way I wanted to talk about it, what um, was less abstract and um, intellectual, but a reflection of the life of one of my teachers. Um, Yoga and Steve Stuckey was um, a, a colleague and friend and former abbot at the San Francisco Zen Center. And I can't believe this. I mean, when I say this, I, I can't see Peg's face, but I'm sure she'll go, what? That it's been 10 years since he died. It's kind of a shock that it's been that long. Steve was a wonderful man <clears throat> and a, a great teacher. Uh, he was an interesting abbot at the San Francisco Zen Center who chose to do the uh, IFS training uh, and loved it as a way of, of teaching, like we often use along with Hakomi in, um, at Appomattox. In September of 2013, he, he was in Austin and gave a talk at Appomattox and said he wasn't feeling that great. And what I'm going to um, show and talk about is his uh, path uh, in terms of cooperation with the inevitable and the teachings that come from that, that I really want to reflect on. So I'm not, I'm not doing this to just speak about Steve. And it's not just about his story. It's about how he demonstrated practice through, through his story. So I'm going to share my screen um, now so you can take a look. <clears throat> and uh, most of the things that you would see here would come in <laughs> steps and stages, but you're not going to see them in steps and stages. You see it all at once. This cooperation with the inevitable and an image from long ago that Cassie had made. Um, this a cooperation with the inevitable is not 
you can see there on the bottom left that fate and determinism. And it's not like, okay, I'll cooperate. This is what's happening. It's not a matter of just dealing with what we're stuck with on that sort of philosophical existential level. It's also not on the right-hand side where it says submission and passivity. It's not a psychological or relational way of just being a doormat. T.S. Eliot said, you know, humans cannot bear much reality, which I, I really love that, that phrase. And the Zen teacher, John Tarrant, there are no circumstances under which it's wise to refuse life. These are things that really are speaking about aliveness and the fullness that practice brings us uh, and how we're to meet what comes uh, and, and do our best, as I've spoken about last week, uh, making our best effort on each moment. The most potent inevitable that we um, have to deal with, <clears throat> and now it's not even sharing, come on. We can see it, Flint. Yeah, but it, it hasn't changed for me. Has it changed for you? Oh, no. Maybe if you click on the slide uh, over to the left. Oh, okay. There we go. Okay. <clears throat> it's an image of the Han and the verse that we see on the Han variously translated. Uh, the one that we often are uh, familiar with is great as the matter of birth and death. All is impermanent, quickly passing. Awake and don't don't waste this precious life. This is the the inevitable that that we all face. And so Myogen, um, Steve uh, was such a wonderful, sweet man. Um, I wanted to use his story as a way to talk about this and how it will affect our actual lives. Um, and we'll begin with his story in October of 2013, not quite 10 years ago. He wrote a letter and I'm just excerpting very small pieces here for you. He said, may this find you all healthy. My news is not good. Today, after two weeks of increasing pains and weakness, Lane, that's his wife, and I received the results of last Friday's CT scan. The symptoms and visual evidence are consistent with pancreatic cancer stage four. So this was his first information that he had something more wrong with him was a terminal diagnosis. His doctor said that if left untreated, he could expect to live three to six months with chemotherapy. It should improve the quality of life and perhaps double his life expectancy, but that's not long. My extended family has already been informed of the situation and I look forward to your support as I rearrange my planned activities to take the best care of this body and all the relationships that are so important and rewarding, especially those with each of you. So he begins by offering his news and saying it's, it's important to take care of our body, his body, our body, and that body of relationships that we live in. This is his first teaching, even as he shares his news. He added two poems at the end of that letter, and one of them was from Dogen. To what shall I liken this life? Moonlight reflected in dewdrops, shaken from a crane's bill. So it's a very classic kind of Zen expression of the mystery of the fragile and beautiful, exquisite nature of a life that's gone in an instant. But it's, it's quite mysterious and a bit abstract in a way. And then he added some lyrics from an old, old blues song from Blind Lemon Jefferson. I've got trouble in my mind. Lord, I believe I'm fixing to die. I got trouble in my mind. Lord, I believe I'm fixing to die. Well, I don't mind dying. I just hate to leave my children crying. The very ordinary, in fact, in the final Dharma talk that he did, because he loved to play his guitar and sing blues, he sang that song as part of his Dharma talk. 
But not very long afterwards, he wrote, and once again, these are just small clips. He said, I've been surprised by the intensity of the pain I feel. In keeping with my current moment-to-moment -moment practice of gratitude, and that, that was his fundamental practice, you'll see more of it here. I'd like to acknowledge all those many people from the 10 directions who are chanting for my well-being. I've been touched by the countless messages of love and support from my family, friends, and Sangha. And as I was rereading this letter, it reminded me of the theme of the reflection I gave at the first of the year. Who am I without you? Who are we without each other? And in this moment, he was certainly uh, reflecting back how touched he was by everyone's care and love and support and how this is so essential for all of us all the time as we make our way as he is in this image taking a, a pilgrimage with his staff but only a month later he said i've decided to not do more chemo Instead, I've begun working with Memorial Hospice based in Petaluma as I continue to respectfully engage, respectfully engage in the process of dying. Later in his note, he said, one can't exactly say where such a decision comes from. But I feel more clarity and relief since deciding to focus on palliative care. It's been eight weeks since I received my diagnosis. This is only two months later. Every day has brought new situations and opportunities for learning, and this will continue in the remaining weeks. I appreciate your understanding that my energy will continue to diminish as time passes, and so my ability to respond will become increasingly limited. I continue to be deeply grateful for all the love I feel, the chanting and messages of support for my well-being, and for the benefit of all beings in need, all beings in need. I love each and every one of you. One can't exactly say where these decisions come from as he respectfully engaged in his practice, but it offered him relief and some clarity we chant at the end, you know, um, each moment life as it is, the only teacher, each moment life as it is, including dying, every day has brought new situations and opportunities for learning. That will continue, for which he's deeply grateful and full of love. As I spoke about uh, Martin Luther King's Dharma last month, the inescapable network of mutuality is how we make our way with such dignity and, and grace. A few days later, it was Thanksgiving, and he wrote a, quite a long letter. I know these are a number of words here, actually, but this is a small version, but it's important because it is what the world needs now, I believe, which was another topic that we spoke about earlier in the year. He said, with time today set aside for Thanksgiving, one may consider how best to use this time as a true expression of gratitude. Well, what if we took that as our theme each day of our own lives? How best to use this time as a true expression of gratitude? The practice of gratitude for me, Yogan says, begins simply by saying the word gratitude and allowing whatever arises in thought to be regarded as lovable, no matter who or what it may be. This immediately cuts off the mind of personal preference and acknowledges that everything, absolutely everything, is fully participating in the fact of my existence in each in this moment. He doesn't say everything is wonderful. He says everything is fully participating in the fact of my existence at this moment. The challenge of this practice often slaps me in the face. <laughs> and sets off a series of seemingly impossible barriers. So there's this side too. These days, as you know, I wake up and say gratitude, and the next thought is pain in the belly, or cancer, or not fair, or Zoom doesn't work like I thought it would. To accept such thoughts with gratitude may be impossible, and even contribute to further unwholesome states of mind. And he spoke about that, how to manage these kind of things.
But it quickly becomes clear that one can create an infinite list of possible nourishments. And the mere fact of being alive tells one that positive, that is, life-supporting factors outweigh all others. If you're alive, the entire universe is supporting you. That's how you know it's supporting you, because you're alive. This is a basis for fundamental confidence in reality. And that's what I mean by this, a fundamental confidence in reality. Know that this life is rare and wonderful because it is happening right now with the full support of the universe. Wow. Including what we call dying, which is living. Once the above truth is clear, it's not difficult to be kind. One naturally wants to give back to that from which one has received so much. And since one has received and is now receiving so much from the mere existence of each other, it's a perfect time to say thank you, which is, I love you. I invite you to take up this practice today as a positive nourishment practice for yourself. And as you do, I feel even more gratitude and delight. This is what the world needs now, I believe. What he needed, what we all need, and what he's reminding us during a time when he is actively participating respectfully in his dying. My death asks so much of you, he said. Please accept this as a teaching for yourself and for our Sangha. Accept it with gratitude. Now his death becomes an offering that he's placing on the altar for all of us. There's a phrase that some of you have heard, if you want to understand suffering, learn to love. If you want to understand love, you're going to have to face suffering. This is the dual nature of our understanding of suffering and loving. Um, I came across this image that you see on the left of uh, Carrie Took, one of our students that many of you know, Donna Martin, and I certainly knew quite well. She was a Hakomi uh, student and a deep practitioner that uh, in this case, she is uh, at the desk at Anshima um, in the mountains in Switzerland in our retreat one year. Uh, she had breast cancer and ultimately uh, died um, very, very young. I say young uh, in her early 50s. Um, and I was privileged to be with her and her partner, Mark, and the Sangha and, and preside in part at her memorial service in, in London. And she certainly demonstrated this too, that understanding suffering, we engage in loving and that loving helps us understand suffering in a different way. And the other image you see Steve being held up, Finn, but with his robes on, ready to step down as abbot because he knew he was not gonna be able to complete his term. So on December 15th, as he could no longer be in person, not because of COVID, this is a long time ago, but he couldn't actually stand. He put on his robes and in a ceremony of stepping down from the abbots, one of his Dharma brothers, Norman Fisher, who many of us know, said, birth and death is truly a great mystery here in an instant, gone in a flash. And speaking to Miyogin, he said, your courage and joy in the face of sickness and death is your best and most thorough teaching. We've all been receiving this profound Dharma and taking it to heart. Having received it, none of us remains the same. Being grateful on every occasion, from now on we understand this. Thank you. None of us remains the same. Even after each inquiry, even after each practice discussion, even after each quiet, silent sitting, we're not the same. What, what remains? What, what changes? His actual brother, in that same ceremony, uh, this image isn't of his brother actually, but it reflects it. His brother said, over the years, uh, you, uh, Steve, have 
taught many of us to grab and hold on, and that holding on relies on its partner letting go. He recalled that some years ago, members of our family had a summer get-together in Colorado, and we decided to go whitewater rafting. Another raft collided with ours as we navigated the rapids, and Steve tumbled out into the rushing water. As several of us grabbed hold to pull you back in, I happened to have hold of your ankles. <laughs> the guide told me to let go. You couldn't pull him back in the raft that way. I had to let go to get you back on board. Holding on and letting go. What does it mean if I still got my arms firmly grasped around your ankles? Holding on and letting go. Holding on and letting go. His Dharma brother, his actual brother, and his assistant, just before Christmas, Christmas Eve, says, Cancer is a hard bedfellow to love. <laughs> it breathes with rotten breath, steals all the covers, pushes one into the lumpy part of the bed, and then right out to the edge. It may not always have final or clear-cut results, and then again, it often does. Any degree of equanimity in this situation seems so difficult. And I watch as Steve continues to put his effort in studying his body-mind and working with staying with his particular experience of pancreatic cancer. I'm witness to his commitment to finding that unlikely and changeable place where mental clarity and pain control meet. I see his effort to show up and appreciate it. And in all of this, Steve is getting weaker, losing weight, not able to stand unsupported or eat much. And not, sleep, and not sleeping for long stretches, it's hard. Cancer is hard. This is hard. May all beings find a place of ease and comfort during this often emotionally complicated time of year. Making our best effort on each moment. The theme of last week's reflections. And then finally, at the end of the year, uh, Steve's son writes, there will undoubtedly be a formal announcement, but I wanted to share with you that your friend and teacher and brother and my father, Myogen Steve Stuckey, has passed on early this morning. He was in some pain throughout the night, but had beautiful periods of calm and translucence. As I left him about three hours before he finally let go, he had the most beautiful smile on his face. His pain had stopped. And he'd seemed to be communicating something, a uh, yes. That's what it felt like to me. His smile was truly peaceful, and it looked to me almost a secret smile as if he had confirmed something he had long suspected. And it filled me with happiness and love and peace. I know all of you cared for him so much. Know that he is most certainly in peace and in our hearts with love and admiration and appreciation for all your support and love. So these teachings we've spoken about echo through his son's message, as well as this yes, this hi, like the monks we spoke about last week, saying yes even to the final, the final transition. Maybe I don't need to repeat the story of, I've told several times of Blanche going to see her student, knowing he was about to die, and they'd studied tea ceremony to, together. And as she, she entered the room, he said, Osakene, which is in the tea ceremony, a respectful statement of, please forgive me for going before you. But as these two practitioners sit with Steve's body, uh, with great respect and some humility, knowing that his dying was full of respect and humility. And it's what we're asked to live with, even though we live in a world right now that doesn't seem to be filled with a lot of respect and humility, at least in public spheres these days. A few days prior, he wrote his death poem. This human body truly is the entire cosmos. 
Every breath of mine is equally one of yours, my darling. This tender abiding in my life is the fierce glowing fire of inner earth linked with all pre-phenomena flashing to the distant horizon. From right here now to just this, now the horizon itself drops away. Bodhiswaha. Each breath of mine is equally one of yours, my darlings. Many, many centuries earlier, a teacher and dying empty-handed, I entered this world barefoot, I leave it, my coming and going, two simple things, they, they got entangled. As his friends and family walk the body to the crematorium, cooperating with the inevitable, not giving in, not being submissive, but actively, as Steve has taught us, engage with each moment, each breath. And even following, his assistant once again tells us, it's been five days since Milgan's death and 97 since his diagnosis. Hardly time for me to have any sort of perspective. And I've been thinking about him a great deal over the last days and weeks, and a couple of things stand out for me. And, and here are our teachings from today. The first is that he was a human being working with a very difficult but human situation. And woven throughout was the reality of Milgan's deep and abiding moment by moment practice habit. Make practice a habit, not something you do on a special day in a special place, but something that's woven into you like the threads of the Okesa and as natural as hugging someone you love. The second is my new understanding of the words, no birth and no death. I cannot say how anyone else felt who was in proximity to Myogen during his last hours, but as I make my way through these mountains, I feel that while he was moments, excuse me, I was thinking of going to Tassahara. As I make my way through these moments, I feel that while he was doing what he called dying, he was also being born. He was being liberated. And we have that strange saying in Zen, die before you die. It doesn't mean to literally die. It means to begin to let go of all the things that we cling to, which were extra. One of Kobanchino uh, said, if someone asks you what you're doing when you go to Sashin to an intensive retreat, if you were honest, you'd say, I'm going to die. But he said, you can't say that because then people would stop you. So you say, am I going to sit? To engage this practice so it becomes natural as a habit is, and to let go and to let go and to let go, to be born, to be liberated, which we call dying. His assistant says the third thought that I need to harness comes from Lane's statement two days ago. The only reason I was able to manage these last months was due to the fact that people were supporting me and us by chanting and praying and sending their love and support. Please know that all of those communal services and private moments of love and support were felt and cherished by Mjogan, by Lane, by me. It could not have happened in the way it did without all of you is an expression of how suffering and love are woven together, how we make our best effort on each moment, how we know that I'm only me because of you, this inextricable weaving of our mutuality, my deep love, my gratitude is deep and abiding, my gratitude is deep and abiding. And so as we go forward, It isn't about just reflecting on this story. This is a story to see you reflect on your own life. It isn't a way to call forward endless stories of those around us who have died. It's how do you use this story, this reality, this teaching, this life to help you reflect on your own practice, your own letting go and holding on, how you're different, how love and suffering inform each other. This is this is what um, I'd like you to, to hold as you think about raising your hand and coming forward so we can meet in this living, in this 
dying because both things are true. We're all born and get older from our birth, but we get younger towards death as the numbers get smaller. And this is the great matter, back to the Han. This is, this is what we're practicing for. <clears throat> and so if you have something, I'm going to be a bit rude for a second, only because I know we're in the same business here, and I just I want to hear a voice any, anyway. Um, uh, Chris Eldrick, of course, if, if you don't mind raising your hand for a moment. You don't have to say much. I just want to connect with you because I know you're working again, as you have for many years with um, people uh, working with these teachings. So I wonder what's here now with us. If anything. Well, <clears throat> I don't know if this um, meets what you're saying, but I but this story and this person came to mind very strongly as you were talking. And um, <clears throat> this was a man that um, I worked with when I was in the oncology unit at a hospital, my last job actually. And quite frankly, I fell in love with him. <laughs> <laughs> I fell completely in love with him. <clears throat> and he would, um, he was dying of, of prostate cancer. And he would bring me little sculptures that he would make for his wife and for his children. You know, he would bring them into, into our sessions. And um, it's very emotional to talk about this. But, you know, there was this question of, of how to express love with a patient, you know, uh, someone that I was working with professionally. You know, and there were there were times when I really held back, you know, um, when sometimes I just really wanted to give him a big hug and it, it didn't feel like the right thing to do for a number of reasons. But anyway, the time came when I decided to quit the job and I had to tell him and he said, um, well, I was supposed to leave first. And I said, yeah. And so we, we stood there and he looked at me and I remember this, this moment that passed between our faces. I mean, we did hug at the end, but that wasn't, that, that wasn't the thing. But what this love that passed between us and he said, I will look for you. Hmm. And I said, I'll, I'll look for you too. That's the story that came up as you were talking. And as I finished, I looked for you. Mm. Mm. And called you forward. Yes. You're not the only one, but that's... Thank you for your teaching. I was chuckling inside, remembering a moment many, many years ago in a retreat with uh, Adi Ashanti. Some of you know that the teacher. And there was such a, a quite a long pause when he was inviting people to meet him, and uh, like I am, and very long pause. And, and he just said, after a few minutes, he said, now we're getting somewhere. Pam. Good morning. It's good to see your face and hear your voice. Thank you. It's good to see your face. Yeah, and something moving in you. Very much so. Um, it was very fitting this morning. Um, I have long COVID. 
and um, it affects me neurologically. And so I know what possible paths are there. There are a lot in our family who have it. Um, and so the last few days, um, it snowed a lot in California. Time, yeah. For the first time in a long time, I took my camera out. I actually got up early oh. in the morning and um, and went out. And mostly, I drove and just sat in the car. <laughs> and uh, but the last day, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, the day before. I don't know. Um, I actually got up, and there's a there's a hill in town that is a good place to start working out when, when one's been a little more sedentary than usual, or, you know, when there's a hike, uh, backpacking trip or something coming up. So it was the first time that I went up there since, um, since I got sick and, uh, I made it, I didn't walk all the way in, in one, I stopped and took pictures on the way. But it felt just so good. And um, then yesterday I was thinking, well, maybe maybe I'm just like hanging out of this and maybe um, my body isn't responding how I think. And maybe I'm just um, creating some of this fatigue and so forth that's going on. So this morning um, I got up and things were good for a little while. And then I started getting shaky and then I started getting really sad and then went to listen to this, which was absolutely beautiful. But I cried a lot during it because it, it touched me a lot, both for myself and where I would like to go still in my life while I'm still alive. And while I still have my um, faculties about me and that could very well happen could very well happen, but I also know the possibility, the other side. So it's it's real. And um, for me, one of the patterns that I've seen is when my body gets just really, really tired, I can still go on, but I start to cry over everything. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, that, that was what touched me in the beautiful way that his life ended. Um, was both sad and so, I don't even know what to say. It just very, very heartfelt and what a beautiful human being. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what, you're, what you're demonstrating to us right now, the very same thing, as you attempt to cooperate with the inevitable. And that doesn't mean laying down in the face of it. Or <laughs> giving up. It means, how do I move with this? Mm-hmm. And the holding on and the letting go, some things you have to let go of in order to hold on, to get pulled back from the the white water, you know. Very true. Yeah, but thank you for coming forward so wholeheartedly. Just that bit of presence is is important. And some of you don't know that Pam and I met in contemplative photography, so that mm-hmm. picking up your camera again was an important part of your practice too. It's heavy. <laughs> it is heavy, I know. It's heavier than the iPhone, isn't it? Those are much easier, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll um, now offer our best wishes for your health, your returning health. And, your, and our best wishes for your moving with your own body, as he spoke about, and relationships, whatever your health. Thank you. Yes. Carolyn, I saw that yellow hand come up. Where is she? There she is. And I thought, oh, first-hand experience. Yep. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it, um, I don't know. I I appreciated you warned me. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, I, I sent a message to Carolyn ahead of time and said, oh, I'm going to talk about pancreatic cancer. You can choose to be in this or not. Mm-hmm. But you were very forthcoming and saying, yeah. Well, and it's funny. I think one of the things I'm pulling back in my own process of living and dying um, is 
it's that bird eye, bird's eye view that um, sometimes it's hard when you're going through the process to be able to say, well, what's happening in this moment during this part of my journey? And, you know, and I get to spend time with you a few times a month. So I, I think it's like right now, I definitely feel like I'm respectfully living. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like things are running out of time. But it's also this um, sense of my body is in the respectfully dying phase because it's telling me you can't do so much. Mm-hmm. I tried to plant a whole Zen garden this weekend. I was exhausted. Like I could have slept, gone to bed at seven o'clock on Saturday. Did you just have chemo this week, last week? No. But it, it's just like, like, I feel like I'm running out of time and I don't know what the time's going to be. That's the thing. It's unpredictable. It's not as sudden as Roshi Steve. I mean, I'm so great. We're, we're all running out of time, but yeah. you're just a little more foreshortened like Steve's, you know, maybe. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So yeah, it's that it's just not knowing what's the bird's eye view. And um, I would appreciate you and my spiritual friends for helping me see where I'm at on the journey. Cause sometimes you need, you need that. Like this is your practice right now. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why we need each other, all of us, and in your particular case, to to reflect back to you. It's like show me who I am. Uh, like in the old uh, poem, "Touch me," it, 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 like touch me, remind me who I am. Where am I? Help me know who I am and where I am. We need each other for that. I almost, I almost gave a little instruction during the meditation. I, I didn't, um, but if I would have, this is what came to mind. As we're all sitting there silently, beautifully on the screen, I started to say, if it would feel comfortable to you and not raise anything uncomfortable, imagine that someone on the screen is sitting so close to you that you could feel the heat of their body against the side of your body. Mm-hmm. You know how you can do that? We're almost touching and you can feel the energy and the heat since we're not in the same rooms right now. Most of us feel what it's like to feel that close. Hmm. And, and what do you notice as you imagine it now? I feel just, just next to me and it's a war. Right. Loving. And my son is on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. His warmth his vitality. And that's the aliveness that's always available to you. It's right there. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Thank you for your willingness, your courage, your vulnerability, your real realness to come forward in this. Thank you for all of your love and support because I feel that gratitude boundlessly to you and so many so many in our sangha over and over yeah there's just no words but we'll continue with you okay cooperating with the inevitable thanks thank you you might know these next folks yeah looks like kathy and mom here can you raise the screen up just a little bit so I can see your face? You're just a little low. Yeah, I'm trying to get myself kind of muted. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, oh, there I am. Okay. Uh, yeah, hi. hi. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, what, what was coming up for me was um, in that silence when we were all silent. Um, I don't have any particular thing that I know of that I'm dying from except being alive. Yep. But this new year has, there's been a shift for me um, in uh, letting go of things and being more accepting, I guess, practice, practice, practice. (laughs) Uh, Those things I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That, that helps. And that, that when I notice I'm doing that, I feel more alive. Um, it's like that paradox of, you know, you have to surrender everything to get. <laughs> yeah, uh, to be uh, 
not get, but you know, um, but that letting go helps me feel more alive. And that, that seems, um, it is contrary to, you know, what we're taught, uh, outside of these rooms. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, grab as much as you can and hold on as hard as you can. Yes. And it has to be a certain way and it has to be, you know, like that. And, uh, and I find that when I let go of that, it sure does feel a lot better. <laughs> and, uh, and I get to, uh, and, and it helps me um, be more uh, able to, um, to let the things uh, come in that, that, you know, I think <clears throat> the spirit of the divine or whatever it is, wow. um, higher power, <laughs> to uh to show me that way you know like well what about this you know and uh i realize when i'm grasping so hard i can't allow those things in that's a really good point because the, the contraction of the grasping yes is the barrier to the allowing yes, yes. it's like let go and it will come <laughs> open the door open the heart the mind whatever it is um so that was just what came for me and also because I wanted to talk to you. <laughs> Good. And I, you know, mom, mom sitting there and also straight behind you is where dad was. I mean, literally a few feet behind you. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, and, you know, he really, he struggled with the letting go thing. He did. And we could see how uh, it added some, some pain for him. Mm -hmm. And for, and for, for us, <laughs> us yeah. who were with him, <laughs> yeah, 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 it was it, hard. It was hard for him. It's not a, a criticism. It was just uh, pain. I feel the sadness. You know. Yeah, and and it was it was uh, I didn't understand um, that because uh, because he was a Christian, you know, and and I thought, well, if you're a Christian, then you're supposed to like go see God and your, you know, your loved ones that you've left behind that have left you behind. And, uh, I didn't understand, you know, but it's just fear. <laughs> you yeah, know, I think that he did hold those things close and dear. Yes. Yes. The, the body and mind aren't always that clear at the end. I'm sure there's a little, just, just fear. Mm -hmm. And, and he did seem to be kind of going back and forth through the veil at the end and uh and while it was scary and strange it was uh was it hard. Was, i'm glad that i got to experience that yeah yeah i just did it this way yes <laughs> yes well thank goodness <laughs> there yeah. was that way you know yeah. so anyway thank you thank you for uh coming forward it's good to see you both yeah. Love you. Love you too. <clears throat> well, it's appropriate now to uh, for us to use our voices to um, chant the four practice principles together because they echo all of these these teachings. And caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you all for being here.
Pomada's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity and your support makes a huge difference. There's a link for contributions on the website and there's also a form uh, that you can contribute directly for Flint. I'll post those in the chat. Thank you all for your presence. For sharing this life. <laughs>